0: Hello and welcome to Register, the podcast about architecture and landscape from Kingston University in London. My name is Andrew Clancy. This week we are joined by Professor Elizabeth Hatz of the KTH in Stockholm and Saul in Limerick. Elizabeth is an architect, an educator, a curator. In this conversation, she shares her views on reflective process within practice and teaching and about her own work as a practitioner and a curator. I hope you enjoyed the podcast.
1: Well, it's good. It's good. Actually, the conversational format is good. I, I've always liked it. I've always liked interviews, you know, and uh, and, and in book form I've liked, you know, uh, correspondences, yeah. you know, yeah. when you have a dialogue going. It was a fantastic um, interview program with Ingmar Bergman, uh, with, um, what's his name, Jörn Donner, who was the... Uh, head of the Swedish Film Institute, his uh, kind of Swedish film. And he, I mean, he knew Bergman, so he made him speak like no one else. Yeah. You know. And and Bergman is so interesting. It's very interesting to read as, for an architect, actually. Because I must look that up. Yeah. You, you have, and he's translated. There is one book of his called Images, which is he's looking back at his films and he's questioning himself. And wow, I mean, if architects did the same, they should read this book and do the same. And he's very... Well, he's he's a person who you can learn a lot from regarding the creative process. Mm. Because he's reflecting on that a lot, in a very critical way. And um, he goes back and and he he discusses his own films. I mean, if we did that with our own work, Mm. or even if we did that with our own sketches or... Models, you know, that kind of go back. I mean, I tell my students that half the work, you've taken a photograph, half the work is to look at that photograph. Yeah. Just look.
0: It's probably more than half.
1: Probably more than half. <laughs> it is probably more than half. Well, I
0: say that now yeah, only yeah. because I'm doing my PhD viva in a month. All right. So. Oh, wow. Well, let's. Where is that going to be? It's going to be in Barcelona. Um... Right. But part of that, obviously... Is it something
1: one can go to, or is Oh, you're more
0: than welcome to come. It's on the 28th. But I wouldn't suggest that you do. It's it's a fairly marginal bit of introspection. But it has been uh, really challenging, actually, Mm -hmm. and enjoyable to Mm -hmm. sit down and look at ideas that might have been forgotten or kind of... Not discarded, but do you know what I mean? That they're present in the work and you've moved on and... um, the nature of the world is that you don't tend to reflect on things maybe enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I've certainly found it, and I know Colin has as well, a fantastic liberation, actually. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, that's what I felt when I did practice-based research. Yeah. That, I mean, I thought practice-based research for us, was, for architects, was something absolutely marvelous and relevant because we work in a way that can never be reduced either to theory or technology or uh, sociology or history or whatever, uh, as it is a creative uh, activity that involves all of these subjects. And therefore, we have our own methods And in order to develop them. Actually, we had in, in Sweden then, we started what was called artistic research in architecture. Uh, art, or if you like, art-based uh, research in architecture. Um, It was brilliant. And and we formed an academy with um, Gothenburg and and, uh, Chalmers, of course, and uh, LTH in in Lund and Stockholm. Uh, Unfortunately, that kind of uh, disappeared. But what we got started there uh, was, I think, very, very important. Mm. uh, Because it was... And I started two groups, actually. uh, One called Recycling Space and and the topics of which were that I was with Paul Roygod Roger Spets and Klaus Ruin and myself and we were looking at places that are due to change mm. like most places actually tell me a place that is not due to, to change but maybe then due for change in a kind of very obvious and very acute way like mm. the military camps in Sweden that have been uh, closed down, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't need so many. Now they're going to start them up again probably with Russia <laughs> moving and, and so on. But um, so we were looking at places and doing something that is not done at, in, in the architectural education and is not done in practice, but is in between. Um, and actually to try and develop methods of working that allow you to um, look at things longer.
0: Mm.
1: and uh, i mean it was it was really really interesting so we we all well, the four of us had different ways into this. We looked at a, a military camp in, in um, Strängnäs. paul reggoud looked at at the kind of uh, instances of of how you enter and and the kind of the distances and the prolonging and uh, Betz looked at characters and um and Klaas Rehn looked at um complex holes that are utopian, mm-hmm. uh, like a kind of miniature vision of the world, right? And in a way, a military camp is such as well. And, and I looked at, at permanence, right? Mm. Because it's my <laughs> forever companion in architecture is permanence, and, and of course, permanence is impossible. Mm. Uh, and that's why I'm so attracted to it. And, and then I observed that in, throughout history of architecture, Man has strived for this permanence, right? Mm. And the more I look at it, the more I see that it's not only in architecture, but you could say that also in art, permanence is... I mean, to make a painting is a way of holding a moment for many, many, many painters. Mm. And disregarded the, you know, the subject matter, disregarded the, you know, the time when it's done. Did I ever give you that text? Oh, me, I
0: no, you didn't, and I actually, I must off. take you up on that.
1: Yes, actually, I was just about to bring it.
0: No, but it's interesting. It was, silly. It was interesting because after your lecture in Kingston, I was talking with my wife, and she's a she's an artist and she makes paintings, but she's also a conservator, and she works on the conservation of moments, these captured moments that you talk about from four or five hundred years ago, and their preservation for centuries to come. So there's a kind of an interesting... Yeah, I think both of us would be eager to read the text. <laughs> but that
1: is interesting because I think uh, conservation, for instance. I mean, architects, they, I mean, they, they, um, they're very... Uh, when they talk about conservationists, you know, they're, very, they're very negative, right? Very often. And when you talk about, uh, they talk about antiquarians, they are very negative. And I think it's, it's very narrow-minded, actually. Because there is a way of, I mean, I think the next uh, wonderful challenge that we have is to to see if we can be creative in in handling the existing mm. and altering it, and maybe even taking care of it. Uh, and that that's totally disregarded. That's not seen as something creative today. Uh, but I think it is. And I think that Fred Scott, my my teacher from the AA, together with Bob Evans. His wonderful book, On Altering Architecture, it's one of the best books I've read in the past five years. I can strongly recommend it, On Altering Architecture by Fred Scott. And there are two books in it, because there's one book, and then there are all the notes, there's a second book. But this idea that, that nothing is is really completed ever, right? Mm. Or everything is, is, you know, is due to, to be altered but then there is another aspect of this is, is actually the care, yeah. because it, that, that care requires that you look, you don't just force yourself onto it, yeah. you have to listen to, and mm. you have to look, you have to register something and then add your piece or maybe take care of something that was a bit disregarded
0: or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. And this reinterpretation is, is, is I'm, I'm very attracted to that. But it's
0: interesting because what you're saying there is, and it's actually the second time that you've sort of said it, and I agree completely, which is, in the first instance, you were saying, you know, architecture isn't just technology or sociology or et cetera, et cetera. It's all of these things all at once. And then this other time you're now talking about, you know, slightly reactionary stances against, say, conservation or against historicism or against other ways of engaging with context beyond, say, the conventions of what's happening right now. And it does strike me as strange that architects aren't, as a, as a kind of body, more curious and less certain, you know. Um, I guess I'm used to curiosity being from Ireland, because when you're marginal and when you're mm. peripheral, mm. curiosity is the only tool you have, right?
1: <laughs> it's very creative, actually. That's why I have so many good architects in Ireland.
0: But one of um, the interesting things I'm... I'm finding as I work it's more and more in people London people. Is, yeah. is certainty, right? You know, okay. continually meeting kind of very, very well-founded scholarly certainty about certain positions.
1: But you know, uh, I actually, Rem Kool has written something really very intelligent about the importance of being uncertain, uh, and and uh, I, I will try and find where it was. It was in an article. It was really, really good, uh, and I think he's, he's uh, an even better thinker than architect, but and sometimes he's, he's kind of brilliant when he does occasional buildings too. But. As a thinker you can be really, really, you know, thoughtful. Yeah. Uh, and, and that that's one thing I, I use with my students. Because when you're uncertain, you're open. And when you're certain, you're closed, most of the time. Because you've set your mind, right? So it's like so that uncertainty but it's very it's very painful. To Being be,
0: uncertain. Yeah. yeah so isn't?
1: so it's something that is uncomfortable and awkward. And and, and, and that's why you, you you shy away from, from from being uncertain, right? So, so you don't, I mean, that's why we, we look for certainty, I think. And, and certain things we wouldn't like to, to fix, you know. Maybe I come back to permanence. I mean, I'm, I'm a contradiction myself because I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking for that permanence because I know it's impossible. And I know it, it's in such need of the transient. Mm. Right? But I, I, I just like that moment of, of, of desire that makes you strive for something. That is permanent. I mean, I've discovered this fantastic, uh, you know, when I started looking at these mastabas, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and when you see how, how these perishable uh, constructions are translated into more permanent materials, it's a way of trying to hold time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is something, you know, something that is fundamental to a lot of people. Mm. Of trying to hold time, and then I get very interested in Bob Wilson when he, instead of contraction in theatre, where you, you know, theatre is normally that you, con, you 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 contract time, you know you have a, a whole lot of series of events and they're com, you know they're compressed to to two hours and a half, right? Uh, and and Bob Wilson does the opposite. So I, I, when I was in Paris, very long time ago, and, and Bob Wilson was there. Um, Putting up his place. He was putting up a play with the longest title I've ever heard of a play, which is I was sitting on my patio, this guy came by. I thought I was hallucinating. And the play is exactly like that. The play has is longer than real time. So everything that is happening on stage could happen for a quarter of an hour, but it takes two and a half hours or two hours, 45 minutes, not three seconds or something, because that's how it starts. Also mm. he has to frame. Then, you know, it's like Bergman as well, he has to have a format before he can mm. start working. <laughs> he can never read the paper in the morning, because then he can't write the script.
0: And just to <laughs> kind of, it's kind of an interesting way into it, because you started your education in the AA, right? That's
1: yeah, no um, I didn't start, I, I actually started in Copenhagen, at the academy there.
0: But you were Swedish, you were brought up in Stockholm? I, I never,
1: right? yeah, I, I, I was uh, born in, in, down in Lund, or actually I was born in a, in a old manor house in Sörmland. Um, so maybe that has to do with permanence, because that's pretty permanent state of life and everything was very kind of old-fashioned, even mm. in, even then. And then, we, but we lived in Lund, and, and in London there's a fantastic cathedral, a Romanesque cathedral that was restored in the uh, 19th century, and still has kept some of the uh, Roman aspects of it, and, and, and a university town, a medieval town, and a very important site in, in Sweden together with Uppsala, and and then we moved to Stockholm, and my father came from Austria, he was a painter, my mother was an archaeologist, so. There you go. I mean, maybe it's not it's not so surprising what I'm knowing. Actually, I didn't want to be too close to my painting father, but I and I sympathize a lot with my archaeologist, <laughs> <laughs> so I became an architect. But um, but in Sweden, I I went to a French Catholic school with French nuns. Uh, so that's why I get on so well with the Irish. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> and then I—I uh, I mean, that was a very international school, socially very varied. You know, there were refugees and there were diplomat kids, and they came from all over the world. Uh, so that also forms a person, of course, when you get implants for so many sides. And my father, not being Swedish, also that mm. kind of mixture. Uh, I mean, he came from Austria, and. He met Edward Munch, and he, he was very influenced by Munch. Anyway, uh, so when I, st- I, I met Bant and yeah. Bant Nibay, who uh, was a very talented, equilibristic architect down in Lund, uh, he had worked with uh, Sigurd Lebrans. uh Actually, at, at that time when I met him, he was, still, he was working with Sigurd yeah. Lebrunz that's yeah. what he was doing. Uh, he had his uh, own office as well and he was teaching, but they were doing uh, competitions together. But Band was one of these amazing architects with such integrity and, um, and passion for architecture and, and, and verbal too. And he described these, uh, these brick walls, medieval walls, you get a lot of them in Lund. And the, the, the moment after, he was bringing, I was there with my father, I was just 14, uh, because my father was buying art to place in public buildings, and Bent was designing one of these buildings. And they he wanted the artists and the architects to meet early on uh, in in the process so they could work together. Um, and Bent then, after describing these walls, you know, I'd stopped eating, I was like... Uh, uh, he took us to um, a corridor he made in, in, a, in a small office building. And it was like a kind of non-permanent one, I, I think. It was just like a little, like
0: a, a, a long yeah. prefab
1: box. But he made that corridor, which was awfully boring, very long. Uh, he made it striped, mm-hmm. off-white and midnight blue. And one stripe was one window, was one light was one white stripe on the wall and on the floor mm. and so on and by doing that he was it, it became a stroboscopic yeah. experience so it's like when you drive at night in another way and you have you automatically drive slower because you have the the feeling you're driving very fast mm. <laughs> so so he made the corridor faster so yeah. shorter yeah. <laughs> and at the same time it becomes an abstract space yeah and now the, these two things with this Abstract room uh, and, and and the very physical sensual senses, pitting um, of these uh, brick walls, that combination just hit me, you know. And I think you know, don't underestimate fourteen-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're kind of, kind of receptive, um,
0: you know. But effectively, that was your. That's when you started to think as an architecture yeah. to engage with architecture and in a way. Then. The schools you went to were they more or less important, or was that kind of this?
1: I, I think they, they they are important. I decided not to go to the one in Stockholm. I went to visit them, and I thought they it was you know they were not doing architecture, and you can just take all <laughs> you can just open any magazine, architecture magazine from that time. In Stockholm, and it's it's like a desert, you know. Yeah. It's 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 frightening. What were they doing? It's just politicized. It was all politicized.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: It was very little. Well, I'm I'm probably mean now because there were probably occasional very good teachers, so uh, I'm probably on fire. But but the spirit of the place. So I decided I. But I also wanted to leave my. Very dominant father, so yeah, <laughs> good I, chance to get out. So it, <coughs> killing two flies in one. Yeah. <laughs> I went to Copenhagen and studied at the academy. Yeah, in, 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 and and uh, I could only be a guest student, so I couldn't afford it in uh, so long. So I went down to south of France, where I could actually be registered, and then I could get a loan from the Swedish state. So then I studied in Montpellier. And there I, I sent him a, a loving thought as a Dutch teacher called Chad Alkema. He was, uh, he was a teacher in form. Uh, uh, because there, there was a kind of smorgasbord of different subjects that should end up being, becoming architecture. Okay. And I said, this is ridiculous. I was kind of debating already then. And some teachers thought I was very useful because I made all the students talk. Mm-mm. You know, that's what they wanted. Uh, so they were very cross with me when I left, actually, before this year was ended. Uh, but I said, yeah, I mean, you can't, you know, you have to go straight onto architecture. You can't just add uh, descriptive geometry and this and this and this and think that it ends up being architecture.
0: Oh, that's an interesting approach. Isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but Cherd Alkema, uh, a sculptor, who was teaching there and he was a really good teacher. Mm. And he said to me, Elizabeth, don't waste your time here actually said best said, because that's what I was called at the time uh, go to the IA in London mm. so I thank him and I actually made contact with him again because I didn't know you know what very recently just a year ago and he's a very good sculptor so really work, work his work yeah yeah he had probably had a strokes a couple of years ago so it, it's Can't talk so well, but but he's still working. Extraordinary. Really, really nice work. Yeah. Uh, He lives in Nice now. So I went to the AA uh, and I visited other schools. And the AA at that time was of course an incredible place, because um, there were extraordinary people there, and the offering of in terms of the lectures, the guest lectures that came, was just astounding. I Mm. mean, we had even, you know, we had all these. All the, all the people, Paolo Soleri, and uh, I mean, I think he was a very mad nutcase. So I, I mean, th- he appealed to all the, the people who needed some kind of religious attitude
0: <laughs> to, to, to
1: architecture. But there were, I mean, oh, he fair, and you know, there were. I mean, there were some amazing people. Joseph Boyce was there. I mean, it was just amazing. Extraordinary, yeah. yeah. Um, and and you got, but the teachers as well. I mean, the most important teachers for me were Robin Evans and Fred Scott, mm. but also Dalibov Wesley. Mm. And Bob and Fred, they were, they made you see. Yeah. They made you watch. They made you really observe things. And they made you encounter a, a Miss van der Rohe building with the same inquisitive eye as a 15th century English country house. Mm. That's what I love with them as
0: yeah. well. Yeah, but it's just
1: that the architecture has no age.
0: And through their texts, all three still do that. I mean, they do. Darabour, yes, they
1: do. And th- was the city. Yeah, you know? that mm. was the the whole culture of the city to, to to ground architecture in the world in in a solid um, what do you call it a family of cultures. Mm. So he made you read, you know, Antonin uh, Artaud and you know, you know. It, it, things you wouldn't necessarily have found by yourself i mean he also forced you to think you, he really wanted us to to find a kind of new matrix you know he wanted us to to uh, build our own stand in terms of how we acted as architects and um, his his lectures were wonderful, and his, his uh, because he had such a an incredible overview over a, a an European cultural curve mm. that he could draw. And um, so he was very important. But, but, but Bob with his, um, also his social painters coupled with his uh, absolutely brilliant language mm. um, and his way of, of looking at, uh, I mean, we, we had wonderful, it was a wonderful way of teaching as well because we would have a brief uh, a house for forty beings. It didn't say, you know, whether it had to be humans. All of these beings, you know, it could be others. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, there was always this um, deep relation between the dwelling and the city, and the interaction between the two, um, and and that, um, and I think that all these things are, are still with me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm conveying. I'm part of a long tradition. I'm just one in a long tradition of conveying that, trying to convey that to my students.
0: Yeah, because you're very focused on dwelling in a place for duration sufficient to see, to make observations, but then more critically, not only that, but to act on those observations. Do you yep. know what I mean? And getting yep. those gears to engage, which is...
1: That's the magic that's difficult. It's
0: really hard, yeah. It's really hard. And it, it takes a lot of time. You know, with the student, I think, as well. As, it's like
1: uh, Tony Craig, you know, he says, I'm suspicious of language because physical things have a language of their own. Mm. So parallel to the thinking, you know, I mean, the AA was great because it really made you think. What was great with Bob and Fred was that they also made you see. Yeah. Right? Uh, but then architecture is making.
0: Yeah.
1: So you have to find your, your, your tactile, your haptic language. And there are many ways. And, and before you even know really what you're doing, you need to get started with it. Because sometimes your hands are more intelligent than you.
0: Oh, definitely. In my case. <laughs> I'm not very good at <laughs> my <many> hands. <laughs> no, but it's true. And I kind of, I, you know, there's been so often, well, not all the time, but you end up in a school and you're giving, you know, you're a guest critic or something. And so little of the discourse is about this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's so easy to be intelligent or to be apparently intelligent. And I think a lot of people put a lot of effort in schools of architecture in being uh, obviously intelligent. And language and intellectual idea. But I think the, the, idea. the
1: verbal maybe has a, a, a too much of a... No, it, it has a too big a role, actually, sometimes.
0: I don't mind the verbal. What I do mind is the straw man thing, which is mm. the, I don't really give a darn what your position is as a student over here, but I'm going to talk about mine over here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what you're doing by telling you what you're not doing, which I just find a very um false or, way of engaging with work, you know, and no, you see it all the time that
1: doesn't lead so I just love architecture you know i I just love walking out with my students in a city, and sometimes we can walk and I mean I want to allow them to walk also and just discover by themselves and then maybe find out later who did that yeah. So you haven't named or labelled everything from the beginning. I mean, I I, I definitely want to introduce them to very important architects. Mm. Definitely. But alongside with that, just the ability... Because there are a lot of forgotten architects. I mean, like, a lot of of really good or forgotten works, I I should say. Because it's not so much just focus the architect, but the work. Because one architect can have done maybe two good buildings and then... Maybe fifty that are not so good, but the two good ones Remains. that's already interesting yeah. and worth to look at. And you don't need to discard that work because there are fifty others that are not good. Well, you can come, You can just state facts. Well, these are really not good, but those are actually good. And then I say, why? Why was that? Or to observe an architect sitting in a big office, you know, with another name being anonymous and actually doing some really interesting work for that office you know and they never get discovered
0: right it's funny and then sometimes they do you know sometimes they do do. but i i I do find that very problematic also which is you know we do live in this culture where authorship seems to be valued but it's false it's a false authorship really because it's very collective art oh completely you know and it's also for the same reasons i have issues with the term socially engaged architecture as a separate field because yeah, yeah. it is us in any architecture it's worth its salt is that also. But we I suppose we all have to play that game to an extent, which is a problem. I think it's a massive issue. And the, that, that we don't give dignity to the people who are tirelessly working in offices doing really good work anonymously because it goes out into the world under another name and it doesn't really get attention because maybe that name isn't so interesting or... I used to do a thing with first years, um, which is that I would take um, plans of apartments uh, that were being sold in Dublin and I would highlight in red the bits they couldn't change, you know, like um, structure and. Things like that. And I would give them one hour to make a change to the apartment.
1: That's a so brilliant. That was
0: positive. That's I, a very
1: interesting.
0: Well, was, I was learning how to teach, you know, yeah. and I didn't really know much else. It's very good. Well, it was interesting. Most of them, in fact, all of them, could make a positive change to the apartment in one hour. I mean, sometimes it was reversing a door swing, sometimes it was widening a hall by 10 centimetres, mm. that kind of thing. And the conversation then was there to produce why wasn't that hour given to that apartment by the practice? Mm. And what the conversation was supposed to be about was that this thing that Michael McGarry always says, which is, the room is different when you're in it. You know, when you're an architect and you're in a room, it's different because you're in it, and it's your decision as to whether that difference is manifest or not. Yeah. You might never get credit for it, unfortunately, but you can make a difference. And that seems to be where well, it's 99%... It's a very good
1: thing to say, actually, because it is. it's so hard to make a good room.
0: Oh, it's, yeah. It's a life. work.
1: <laughs> but even just to start, where do you start? <laughs> I, I, we were out with Michael Warren with our students in his studio oh yeah he's a wonderful person he's a wonderful sculptor but he's also a wonderful person to talk about architecture with I was looking at this field that he has behind the studio it's kind of rising slightly I said you know what a perfect location what an extraordinary location the way your, your studio is set in the mm. landscape and it's like I mean the Romans were better than us mm. just place something in the landscape and this, and he says, yes, but imagine you put something in that build. How do you so- decide how large it should be? And then, you know, we can talk about that for an hour. Yes. How large, how how do you decide how large it should be? You know, just to find the right size for for a
0: room outdoors, right?
1: I mean, it's, if we spend just a little bit more time, I think your, your task there was brilliant.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, actually, I think that there's all these things. I mean, I think that... After your lecture in Kingston, uh, the amount of people who just loved that opening where you talked about sitting with your back to a wall in a city, and how we see, mm-hmm. and how you go through phases of being bored or uncomfortable, and you stay, and yet you see. You yeah, that was,
1: that was uh, this think, wonderful yeah, gardener.
0: Yeah, I think that's so deep into everybody's head who was at that I'm lecture. I'm glad, yeah. because
1: that's the most important. If I could say anything, it would be quoting e. gardener. <laughs> because I'm I'm a little bit afraid actually because I I can see that a lot of people lose their sense of daylight, their sense of color. As you say, you talk with optics about color or anyone with color, and say, oh, color is good. Everyone likes color, right? And then they put these colors, and, 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 and I mean, they almost hurt me physically. There's no, I mean, color. So I promised actually my soul students to give them a lecture on color, uh, so I will
0: I' might come
1: back for that <laughs> it's all i mean i I spent so much time i think it's i spent so much time in my father's studio
0: as he painted
1: as he painted coming yeah. home from school, but he was also when we were outdoors, when we were walking in the forest or in the fields i mean he would talk about color and how color relate to nature i mean, always test the color out in nature, yeah. you know to see if it's you know. If it's too strong, Mm. if it will just kill everything, or if it's bringing out the other colors, right? Mm. So he he taught me something. He he was working very much with what he called dirt colors. He's very colorful sometimes, you know, but these dirt colors bring out the other colors. They bring them forth. How did we get there?
0: Well, (laughs) I lost my thread. I always take these... It's Side a, roads. It's another fundamental, I mean, you know, for me... Like no, but it was the a day Yeah, it is. You said, how, is. how do you make a good room? And there's so many things we can go through. Light, colour, for sure. Uh, datums and scale. And, and I think that um, it's a fundamental problem, uh, I think, because we're always looking for something that might make sense of the whole, that the discrete fragment becomes, yeah, slightly consequential of that, right? Or somehow... Mm. Whereas the truly interesting work does seem to derive from this fragmentary or this kind of embracing of, well, I don't know anything else, but I'm going to hold on to this and I'm going to follow that through as far as I can. Um, It might not all make sense at the end, but I think that there will be... I guess that's probably what I'm trying to say is the same in in schools of architecture, is that those kind of judgments, they're slightly invisible Mm -hmm. and they're slightly... and it's like your walks through towns. Yeah. Because you'll always discover something that you didn't expect to take the students to. And those things, they're hard to talk about in schools of architecture. You know, talking about the qualities of a good room.
1: Well, I think you probably, I mean, I would like to more and more go out. I mean, to be on sites, you know, in situ teaching.
0: And talking in the buildings. Yeah, yeah.
1: I I, I think we should leave the buildings more. I mean, do, and bow wow, you know, create as much exterior space as possible. I totally agree. That would—I mean—it's the revolution. I mean, that's that we're indoors too much, and even indoors even we don't look, or we we turn the lights on. Mm. I mean, people turn the lights on when they don't need to. I'm I'm the kind of person. Every room I come into, I turn off the lights, <laughs> and people just oh now she's coming in again, <laughs> <laughs> because you don't see the room. I mean, very few architects actually. Hans Sharon, he was brilliant with both daylight and artificial light. Uh, brilliant with artificial light because the artificial light is also helping you don't I mean form doesn't exist without light and shadow right and also with artificial light you need to create those lights and shadows Mm. but instead for instance the school of architecture in Stockholm which is a sexy building from the outside and totally dumped Inside. Yeah. Totally This is stupid. the new one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very, I mean, so you know, you can see how it's born in a kind of uh, aestheticism of the plan, you know, with some kind of shapes on a plan. But then when you enter and there's a sloping floor and then you have this, uh, uh, these rooms, these kind of nebulous rooms, and it's all wood. But then they have lights that obviously have been just drawn as a pattern on the plan. Oh, yeah. But they don't shape, they don't, they don't, I mean, there's no daylight which is daft in, a, in an entrance hall to a school of architecture anyway. None of the seminar rooms, on uh, no floors, on all the floors, none of them have daylight, direct daylight, which is completely mad when you want to look at work or models or whatever. But to, to create these forms, if you say goodbye to daylight, at least then form them with the artificial light. You look at, at, at the library, for instance, how he he puts light in the, in the handrails, yeah. and then on some walls, you know, he really knows exactly where to put the light and to create the shadow, mm-hmm. so the forms are visible, so you can orientate yourself. Because mm-hmm. you can't orientate yourself. And, and when we have all this light, it's, a, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Mm-hmm. Because if we have so much light, we see nothing because we see too much. Mm. And we, we get overpowered and very tired in our heads. Mm. And people don't notice it until the end of the day and they're absolutely exhausted mm. because they've had too much visual information.
0: It's funny, an architect. as you were talking there about Schroen, I was thinking of Rudolf Schwartz, mm. who I think also has that skill with artificial and natural light. We did this trip over four days where we tried to see just kind of a lot of Schwarz mm-hmm. And we seemed to arrive at twilight in a lot of them because it was wintertime. There was a magical moment when the lights started to come on, but they never drowned out the twilight. Twilight was still present in the church. It was not mm-hmm. artificial. It was not daylight. It was something else. And so carefully calibrated I mean so carefully judged and again, something that was a revelation, you know, something that I didn't expect and didn't understand in advance to the point that if you were in a church and it was twilight and the lights weren't on, it was kind of flat. Mm-hmm. And then there it is, the lights come on and it, it's, it's perfectly part of the architecture. It's really rare that because so often this pattern, this kind of grid of fluorescence that you're talking about that kind of runs through building this graphic or whatever that seems to run through lighting design today, I think it's more designed to photograph well. It kind of it's kind of it makes an interesting image, yeah. but it produces a really problematic space to dwell in. But really I think
1: of, actually, I think actually we get very you know physically and mentally affected by the bad lighting actually, and by lack of of daylight that can is allowed to fade, mm. so we can get a little tired or a little. I mean tired. I mean not tired, but a little calm. You know and. If you read about how, how they lived in Stockholm in the old days, they had a habit, they had a completely different life cycle. So they went up very early in the morning and worked, and then they went home and had a big meal in the middle of the day, and then they had a kind of siesta, and then they went back to work. And if it was wintertime, they would have kura It means to hold dusk. Hmm. They would sit quiet by the window, and see the light fade together. As if someone wanted to talk, they talked. It's absolutely incredible to read descriptions of that. We never do that. georg Henry von Bricht, the, the Finnish philosopher, died about six, seven years ago. Amazing. And his, his book, The Myth of Progress, is a very provocation, of course, to the way we live. Mm. <laughs> but it, it's a very, very interesting book to read, in terms of being critical about the conditions that we have placed ourselves in and i think if we as architect take take life seriously take um, our resources seriously we need to address this in a much more fundamental way mm. it's not about putting a kind of sustainable label on things it's much more fundamental it's about respect for the you know for for the most most fundamental parts of life, but also to make simple buildings that can work with just daylight mm. that's a very simple and real act that we can contribute with buildings that are you know that are healthy and that have have beautiful daylight for as long as possible during the day I mean that's that's one of the most um Fundamental accent we can do, and but it's difficult, but it because it requires a lot of studies.
0: I think such it's, buildings. It, it, it's yeah. It, I understand exactly what you're saying. I wonder whether our educational model isn't still governed around the fact that architects historically did monuments, and
1: I love monuments.
0: Oh uh, no, I know you do, and this thing <laughs> of permanence is interesting. But I wonder if w- what you're describing is that actually. It's just happening. Architects are doing the fabric now, you know, because of regulations, because of planning laws, because of all kinds of things. Mm. Architects are an active designer is present in the fabric as well. Mm. And these things you're talking about, yes, they're 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 difficult, but they're also quite simple in their essence as once yeah. grasped. Yeah. And that just takes time. It takes it takes a, it takes a different way of looking, and it takes a different way of thinking.
1: I don't think that we necessarily have become better, you see, at doing buildings, you know.
0: No, it, it's an interesting question. I mm. mean, there's this constant so debate right. as to whether architecture has benefited by entering the academy or not. And I mean, underst- <laughs> I can understand. <laughs> I can understand. This
1: the, is the, we. I think we have a lot to learn, you know, from what is existing, you know. And I, I you know, and I. I don't care if someone uh, misunderstands me and says I'm, I'm backwards or, or you know, I don't care what people think anymore because I know that it's it's not about being reactionary or... It <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. But I think we can learn a lot from mm-hmm. existing buildings and actually trusting our senses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, to, to see a good room with good daylight, how if an architect can really make a few good rooms, room, re- room spatial relations, with good daylight and... And and a good climate, and here I mean, of course, what is good climate, you know, <laughs> because that's that's more difficult. You could, you know, you can create microclimates, but but today we are kind of obsessed with comfort, you know, mm. like having twenty five degrees in a room, you know, here it's quite cool, and I kind of like it, mm. you know, because uh, that's, you know, I know that there is a window there. Not only because the light comes from there, but it's also it's cooler, a, it's yeah. a bit cool, right? But, but the, and actually there's a radiator on the, the window, which is very rare to see in Ireland because they always put it somewhere in the, in the wall, but it has no importance at all. I should say, that that actually,
0: it, I should say for works. the benefit of our listeners that we're having this discussion in my office. <laughs> it's a job. lovely place. <laughs> <laughs> has, As opposed to Kingston. It,
1: one, two, three, four windows, one of which is in the ceiling in the roof, in fact, it's a roof light. And it gives. It, and you can see very, I mean, we could turn the lights off now and we would see the difference of the light from the side and the difference of the light from the, from the um, roof light. And I think this I do, uh, today it's not, the difference is not that great because it's dull, but if the sun was out, we would clearly see that that light would be very cool and that light would be much warmer. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, this is what, my, my lessons of architecture, I do this. Mm. I turn out the light and I say, look at the room now.
0: It was one of my favorite rooms. I I actually never worked in it, but it was in a building that we worked in. And it faced due north. Yeah. Um, across a narrow street to a red brick Victorian Oh, building. fantastic.
1: You got all the reflective lights.
0: Extraordinary uh, ochres and reds of in, the, in the in the you have North yeah. facing
1: is brilliant because you can get the Western light if you have a facade that is, has some Western light, you know, you get it all projected into you. This is what I'm going to, you know, when I'm going to look at the projects at Kingston, and I look forward, looking forward to that, I, I would tell the students already now that, watch out, I'm going to look at plants and sections really, really carefully, you know, and I'm not going to look as much CAD renderings and things like that. I'm going to look at plans and sections because it's all there. Mm. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't do my job. Mm. Because if you you that that's how people today they judge architecture on images, and images can lie so much.
0: I know, and it's extraordinary how few plans and sections are actually printed or or disseminated. I mean, I don't have a problem. I mean, it's interesting that criticism moving into the you know, into kind of voluntary forms like the blog, unpaid forms. Yeah. Um, it's, I suppose time will tell whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but it is interesting that in all of that extra space, and there is a lot more writing about architecture now, there doesn't seem to be a deep engagement with these things. I mean, there are there are difficult things to write about. I mean, mm. very few have well. Um, I mean, you were talking about Bob Evans earlier on, mm. people like this. Mm. But it's very, very rare that you can get these things captured in a text that make you see and that make you learn. And I think that it's an interesting question because I suppose part of this is your career is so interesting because you left the AA, you did those amazing buildings in Sweden, and you've kind of invested your life in doing in teaching people, right? And kind of opening their eyes to things through your practice research, through your exhibitions, through your teaching, through your examinerships.
1: Yeah, I I I, I hope to to be able to do a, a, a few more buildings. Uh, they don't need to be large, but they should be real. And um, I'm doing a lot of alteration work. Yeah. And I, I do, because my office is so small, because I have two teaching jobs, office is, is obviously, it's, it's just myself, really, because otherwise it wouldn't work. But, uh, and, and I have small jobs at the moment. But, but, uh, but I have, you know, I have a practice and I, I, I could never uh, ever l- leave that practice but I w- I'd like to uh, open it up a little bit more uh, in coming years actually uh, and do more uh, do more buildings again because uh, we're doing work in uh, with our students in oh, yeah which is a lovely uh, town in, in Sweden it's uh, an old industrial town that grew around the, the water mills so it was the the cloisters and the estates that had the, the mills in the middle ages and then uh, it became a, a an industrial uh city in the in the in the 19th century particularly it started even earlier with flax factories and such as flax mills something and, and uh i had a commission when i worked for Berg architects to actually make a new power station hmm. right in the center uh, of the city uh, and um, with a turbine hall, about forty meters below ground, and it would just stick up, but uh, like two floors, and then the 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 roof of the same would be the terrace for the workers' theatre. So it was the one of the best, marvelous jobs to to design that. And unluckily, I was taken the the the, the this job was given to another architect in the office because they had me to work on the globe arena this big prestigious oh
0: yeah
1: that i hadn't done the competition for that i much rather would have <laughs> preferred to yeah, p- p- do this little power station than the big prestigious arena uh, anyway so so it was finished by an architect and i'm not at all responsible for what is there now i i did a completely different project but but that type of of you know to to design an industry in the centre of a city yeah to so it's a piece of infrastructure in one sense mm. and it's uh, it it's uh, it has a relevance for the whole city because it's actually giving power to the whole city and it has an inlet and this power station and an outlet and and then it is a front to the river, so it's a public place also with the terrace. So it has all these components. The only thing that isn't there is the inhabitation, of course, that, mm. that it is missing. But it's, uh, and I think that that type of, of project, I would love to do
0: that again. But um, I
1: have altered my own works too, because I designed. A, did a, you
0: go back to to work on those afterwards? After you, yeah, well, the,
1: the, not on that one, but. Uh, unfortunately, I would have, have loved to, but but uh, I, I designed um, a research greenhouse for Nobel Industries in Sweden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, first, we were supposed to build it on top of a line factory, former, uh, it was a laboratory building, it was like a, 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 a brick base with a brick tower from the 1940s. They wanted the greenhouse to be built with laboratories on top of that. And then they wanted to turn the greenhouse to the north. And I said, are you crazy? <laughs> and the, and the, the, the consultant you know, for ventilation and such, he said, well, it, it's much easier to control the, 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 heat, the, the temperature differences. But I said, let's, let's go to Holland. <laughs> and we did. And he, he changed his mind. He realized that it would be better to have it to the south all the same. And then I said, can't we just calculate how much would it cost to have it freestanding instead on top of this hill? And we calculated, and they would get such a good. So we did it freestanding and stuff. So it was a kind of research greenhouse with extreme uh, what do you call it um, conditions? You know, the, when it's minus twenty five in Sweden, it had to hold plus thirty Whoa. and ninety percent relative humidity. So it was like triple or quadruple glazing. And we did. We made. I made the the the. Um, the, the greenhouse itself very tall. Mm. And and then they said, well and, and this was you know where you had to have everything very well calculated from mm. the beginning. And I, the whole building is act is designed so you won't need to turn off on the lights until you know four o'clock in the afternoon on a on winter's day, right?
0: okay great
1: so it's, everything is about daylight yeah. but the quality of the daylight and then there's a library and then what I call st- studiolos like study chambers not offices because they work in the laboratories and then they take the results and they go into these little cubicles and study them Right. Mm-hmm. so it's more like a studiolo and uh, and they, they were all in brick so it's brick inside and outside and, and then a library and then so the greenhouse, the laboratory, and the studios like this. And then the in the studio, you would have a, a, a light close to the ceiling that would drag the light across the ceiling because the ceiling was sloping. And then a low light that would give light to the table. Mm-hmm. So two different lights. And then with your door open, you would see across the corridor on lights on top of the bookshelves in the corridor, there were bookshelves on both sides, and across, and look look straight across the library. Uh, So everything was about these lines of vision across, from greenhouse to, uh, what do you call it, kind of cafe room, Mm. like, and to the offices, or to the studiolos, to the the library. library. And it was so funny, because after three months... um, they they said to us, well, It's funny, we don't need to turn the light on. I hadn't told them. They discovered themselves, they didn't need to turn the lights on. Uh, so so that was, you know, and then instead of spending money on curtains, I engaged a textile artist to do textiles in each room. This was also to reduce, you Sound. know. Yeah, yeah, because it's brick on the inside, wooden floors. And then, so I engaged actually two two textile artists, one for the library, and one
0: for. The group.
1: But I had to turn that whole laboratory into the, um, to the head offices.
0: And how many years later was that? Six
1: years later. Six years later. Yeah. Well, you know that in industry, it has to be. It's extremely specific. It's you know it has to function, you know, to the point.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know that it will change. Yeah. And it can change faster than you think. Yeah. So I had to redesign the whole thing. And I was so happy that time that we had actually been generous with the greenhouse because we could make a, a double floor there and put offices in there and just screen the glass. And uh, and they had to move from one of the pest spots opposite the royal castle in the city center out of this industrial area to this thing and, and they were not happy. But again they wrote to us and said... We're so happy to be here, but it's <laughs> always easier, you know, when you start from low expectations. <laughs> 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 so
0: it's interesting. <laughs> it's There's a lot going on in those projects, though, as well, in terms of form and the character of the, the
1: character is more interesting than than beauty, in a way. Yeah, I think it's like with people. Yeah, I you know, attraction is not necessarily a pretty face, but some something that. Speaks to you.
0: It snags mm-hmm. you or something, right. yeah, yes. yeah. Because the facades—I forget which project it was—but the the brick one with the with the, the with the where you compress them, you kind of take them and you
1: change oh, yes, the
0: as you walk it across the facade. So
1: I pulled out some of the brick because I, I made kind of vertical. That's right, yeah. exactly, yeah. And that was actually to get light in because that's a very deep. That was when when we had done that other laboratory with the greenhouse. We came back to the formaline factory, and said, "Well, we need more laboratories on this building anyway. Can't we do that?" So I did that after, and that was fun because then we just added two floors of laboratories and this big ventilation thing. But that that was necessary because otherwise I wouldn't, you know, I would rather have draft, you know, not natural ventilation. But it was necessary because it was a laboratory. Mm. Uh, but that was interesting because it was a very deep body with a tower inside. So, I had to have really tall windows. Mm. It's like Georgian windows, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're like two meters uh, tall. And, and then to amplify that light, I, I have these projecting piers of brick where the light can, because the light that you can get on a vertical surface is always the best mm. you know, to, to bring light in. Actually, <laughs> Lebrun's in uh, Björkhagen Church. Yep. He uses that, but he actually paints that stuff as white.
0: On the windows, there's baffle yeah. the brick baffles. Yeah, you remember that's that? That's painted white, isn't it's it? Painted,
1: well, on one, on one, ah, in, in, yes. just to bring more light in. Yeah. <gasps> it's
0: there, very it's a, definite. That's an extraordinary project, actually, the through. Really I
1: think it's, I mean, that it's, it, because it's like, it's like a small village, right? It it's is, like yeah. I and mean, this sets up a very civic space between the, the, the chapter house and the, and the church, you know? Yeah. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's extraordinary, and all the floors that are like a kind of landscape inside, and the and the light that it brings in by the floor. Yeah. At, in in the entrance, so there you have a very low. You can only you see the feet from outside. It looks very funny.
0: <laughs> but, That's right. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but but it
1: brings in light because that oblique light is so important up north. It's it's you know whether you take it to. A wall, a, a vertical wall, or if you take it via the ceiling, a sloping ceiling, or the floor, it, you know, it has a fact. And it was nice because Peter Merkel in his lecture in the Barbican last week, he talked about that also, that he had learned, it took him a long time He learned to place windows, that they should be placed next to a wall. So I learned that, you know, by looking at old buildings in Sweden, that's how I learned it. Because they had to be so economic. Yeah. You know, the, it, windows were ex- expensive and electricity wasn't invented. Uh, so they had to be really careful with, with the daylight. The wall
0: holds the light and pulls it deep into the planet. Yeah,
1: you can yeah. Make, take a medieval building in dome that I saw when I was a child, and there are these tiny, tiny windows. But they're whitewashed walls on the inside, and there are deep recesses that are inclined... So they reflect. Mm. And if you take a window frame mm. that looks very pretty, an old window frame and it has all these beautiful profiles yeah. Yeah. and I think it is to be pretty no. but it's actually to reflect both to reflect light but also to modulate light. Mm. To, to, um, yeah, to, to modulate it, to, to soften it and amplify it at the same time.
0: Mm.
1: So it's a, very, you know, it's a very precise form It's a tool for light.
0: I'm looking forward to these new projects, Elizabeth, that you're talking (laughs) about. Because, uh, you know, these are... um, That's why I
1: loved La Conjunta by Peter Mm Mackley. You know, I went there with Peter when I was going to write about him in Sweden. Uh, And we went down by car, which was so nice. And not through the tunnels, but... okay, (laughs) Up and down. And you come there, because that's a building, it's one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever been in. And it's a building without electricity, mm. without heating.
0: And you get your key from you the You get the cafe. key from the
1: local yeah. cafe, and, you, and it has the most divine light. And that light is actually from the roof lights. Yeah. But they're vertical roof lights, they're not horizontal. They're vertical roof lights. And the, the, the surface of that light is actually plastic. It's not glass, it's, yeah, it's the the plastic. And it looks it looks a um, oh, polycarbonate. It looks like metal from the outside. Yeah,
0: yeah. And the
1: light is is as beautiful as in the Romanesque church in the village.
0: Mm.
1: And the the, the, the the proportions of the rooms and the location of the of the sculptures in those rooms and how the the light hits them from Kind of up there, but sideways, and then cast the shadow, and then the rough wall. There's such a precision in that. It's, 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 You know, it has a roughness. Even the roughness is precise. You know, it's like, and and the way you kind of enter each room by climbing. Uh, uh, you know, there's a threshold. You know, you have to mm-hmm. climb into. Overs, yeah. <laughs> I, it is, I think it's is absolutely brilliant. Really? Uh,
0: we were um, there f- years ago now, Nivio um, Vecchini's grandson worked with us for a while, fantastic guy, and he, at the end of his internship, he took us around, and we were travelling with Steve Larkin, who's an Irish architect that we work with all the time, and uh, he's also a violinist or a fiddler, a traditional Irish musician. Oh, lovely. And he played in La Conjunta. He did, and the acoustics wow. are extraordinary. I um, can imagine. Yeah, because it's all these resonance chambers. I mean, all these yeah. little rooms off the big rooms, and I mean, that's right. Like
1: the the, this, the four little chambers on the yeah. side, but then the the walls are rough as well, so probably it colours know, it. Yeah. yeah, I think
0: he was playing a baroque, so it was a detuned. Oh my God, I would
1: have loved to hear that.
0: It was special, I tell you. I mm. mean, it it was um, it was actually it was very interesting because you moved. You wanted to move through... Steve was moving through the building and that you wanted to move as well because you were capturing... It was actually sometimes good to be two rooms distant. Or, and it, it had a very... Uh, there were so many layers to that building. I mean, I know that it was a very direct thing, but this, on those skills, it's extraordinary. I mean, it just keeps opening up light, sound, the way it holds it's the art. There he the it says.
1: It's very difficult. The most difficult is acoustics. And he says the only way... To, to get good acoustics in the room to, is to play good music in it and it will change molecularly. <laughs> 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 I, can't, I can't remember where he says that. But I think that conjuin is also fascinating because it's it's this long building in the valley with the stream next to it but when you arrive to it it's like a point in the landscape and then you approach it and suddenly it stretches out, right? Mm-hmm. It's like from, from point to line and then you have to Walk all the way beside it to enter it from the other side, and and I think that that whole um, encounter is, is so important, and also the way the uh, the formwork is done. Is also it 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 reinforces the proportions of these
0: three what's, bodies. What's so clever about the formwork is that it's complete at the top. Yeah. So the ground is a consequence. That's right. So, it's just a very simple instruction to builders, which is that yeah. you can cut the formwork, but yeah. at the bottom, not the top. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So it's it's a very architectural intelligence, and in that it's yes. to do with the economics of making a building, but it understands where to be precise and where you can be relaxed yeah. because the exactly. formwork doesn't align yeah. from form to form. It's misaligned. It doesn't matter. No, it, it, it actually it
1: matters. It does. It, 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 it gets actually you get works, an extra quite. And then and then in other buildings. Peter does the same I think I love that uh, that apartment
0: uh, oh look, you know yeah, yeah. with
1: one apartment on each floor you know with the with the with the staircase at the gable yeah you, know, you enter the staircase and there's, again, there's no heating or light in that as i suppose i remember and then you have this uh, middle wall you know it's like a tea. yeah <laughs> i think that's a beautiful building the way the kitchen sits there and it's Box of glass of that, you know, uh, glass with wire in it, right? Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Bit, which is kind of institutional,
0: yeah, you
1: know. So it's domestic, but it's kind of floating a little bit with an institutional <laughs> feeling. But it, you have the contact with the, with the room because you can see, uh, you know, you can see from the kitchen to do you remember, it has a balcony beside. I haven't been to
0: this building, also. oh, it's
1: beautiful. You enter here, as you have that staircase, like. Georgian stack is set on the, on, the, on the side and then so the, the plan is like this with the, the stack is here and the and the tea,
0: here. yeah yeah
1: and then it's held like this so the, the, the apartment each apartment revolves around that middle wall but exactly when you enter you enter between the kitchen and the balcony and the, the balcony is in a, a kind of plywood which is a, you know light brown and it colors the light a kind of reddish brown colors the light to that whole room so then you have the fireplace and then you walk around and then you have a uh, bedroom bathroom that is uh, also a passage and also with a glass mm-hmm. so you can walk all the way around mm-hmm. it's, it's really brilliant
0: yeah as okay. usual you've uh, you, you insist on talking with other architects when I try and uh, yeah sorry talk, but no I think it's good I think it's good I think, I think it's it's, it's, uh, it's why you're important I think it's. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to thanks so I much for your time and you. um we tend to wrap these up with a question, which is that if you were to give a piece of advice to somebody about to study or studying, or I guess we're all studying architecture, aren't we? We are. Um, what would, if you were to boil it down to one thing, or could, what would it be?
1: I guess go out and, and look and draw and, and observe light and shadow. Mm-hmm. And observe, if you come to a place, just ask yourself, why is it like this? Ask all the stupid questions you know, why was it formed like this why or how is it made? How big is it? How big is that why Why is it that big? Mm. now ask these and I think the most difficult thing is is actually to make a good room, whether it's outside or inside and and the best rooms are very often somewhere in between mm. that they belong to the two worlds and um, negotiate them
0: and observing just yeah that and draw yeah so take notes it's questioning uh, so you kind of yeah. you're saying that it's it's you have to have a desire to acquire something to see you need to be acquisitive there's something that yeah. you're investigating yeah. so these simple questions were well actually they're
1: well you can learn a lot from looking at pa- paintings as well actually course there are other you know the other images than the the normal images you know the the, the the on the screen i think i think it's very different to see a painting on the screen and to see see a painting in real life okay, yeah, yeah because they they radiate it's a physical encounter mm-hmm. and architecture is a very physical art never forget that so you have to have a kind of haptic you have to gain some kind of haptic knowledge and it, it takes time
0: and yeah, be patient with that as well. Yeah,
1: well, I, I just, you know, give, allow yourself to slow, slow down. <laughs> That's the most difficult, to stay just a little longer.
0: When the point you feel like going, stay.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Also with your project, you know. Instead of just throwing in something else, you know, work at it.
0: Yeah, you don't need to go back to change a strategy. The yeah. solution's always in, yeah, working it through. It's hard, though, because that goes back to this thing to do with uncertainty, right?
1: Mm, yes, it does. Um,
0: you know, to make a really comfortable relationship between yourself and that feeling of confusion or uncertainty is challenging, I think. It's mm. a challenging thing.
1: Yeah, You can be very confused, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it can be a good thing for a while, you know. You can go back to your own street and, God, I never, I never thought of that, you know. And be very confused because and that's when you start seeing that you that something that you thought you knew that you actually don't really
0: know
1: Have seen it. Yeah. You know? And and that's maybe when you start seeing. And I think so you don't need to go very far. You can go to your own street. But sometimes you need to go back to your own street after having seen other things because then you can see it anew. Yeah. To see anew, I think. To see something again, you know, is, is kind of interesting when. Something that suddenly speaks to you that hasn't spoken to you before.
0: That sounds a good place to, to end. <laughs> Thanks, Elizabeth. <laughs>
1: the light is fading.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Register. In our next episode, we are joined by Oliver and Thomas of Lutchen's Padmanabh and Architects and I look forward to you joining us then. In the meantime, please remember to subscribe and to leave your comments and feedback. Thank you very much.